This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Live from the Accessible Media Studios, this is Kelly and Ramia. Entertainment, lifestyle, and great conversation. It's AMI's on air community, and everyone's invited. Welcome to Kelly and Ramia, the midweek edition of the show, because we're here with you on Wednesday. If you're listening live, it's 2 p.m. Eastern on AMI-TV. Of course, available on AMI-audio uh, as well as podcast. Grant Hardy is filling in for Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amuthan. Grant, first question off the top, because it's midweek, so you got at least four days, if you don't count Sunday, three days of having to wake up for work. Um, how d- long does it take you to get out of bed in the morning? And I'm not talking about the snooze alarm, okay? I don't want to get into the snooze habits because that's going to take at least three minutes to talk about. Um, I'm talking about, do you just lay around in bed? Do you have the instant, I got to get up and get out of here no matter how zombie I'm feeling? Or does it depend on the day? Where are you on the spectrum? Uh, I'm glad you're not asking me to divulge my snooze secrets. Uh, I tend to... Yes. Especially on the weekends, I will literally like lie in bed for like an hour or you know whatever after my alarm goes off. It's I I kind of like about work that I can just like get up and you know I have a schedule. Uh, but yeah, my sleep habits are ho- yeah my sleep habits are horrible. I literally I need like five alarms. I need alarms that are far away so I can't just turn them off. I can't turn them off with my voice. I can sleep through alarms like oh. while alarms are going off so it has to be very loud uh yeah my sleep habits are just horrible how about yourself yeah same i sometimes will feel proud because i went an entire week and i think my goodness i think i'm changing i'm becoming an adult now and then um days like today come and i'm like no i can't yeah 40 more minutes please <laughs> and then it's pretty rough um however same. the snooze no we said we're not going to talk about it but in brackets <laughs> The snooze has been torturous, I think, for the development of better sleep routines and wake-up habits because um, I can go upwards of seven snoozes oh, at nine-minute increments, right? Yeah. yeah. Easily. My good. Makes us feel terrible, but it's still that little extra hit of like, oh, an extra nine minutes of sleep, I'll take I it. know. <laughs> uh, so disruptive, my goodness. All right. Let's see what else we have coming up on the show today, aside from sleep conversation. We're talking um, about Taylor Swift because she's performing for four nights in Japan just before her boyfriend Travis Kelsey's uh, game in Las Vegas. Can she make it? Corinne Van Dusen is going to talk about it on our entertainment (laughs) report. We chat with co-founder Daniel Woodrow of the Underground Comedy Railroad Tour, which aims to create opportunities and introduce the voices of Black Canadian communities to new audiences abroad. And a few weeks back, we, the KR team, uh, went to venture out at W. Ross McDonald School in Brantford, Ontario. This is to catch up with the short-term placement program participants. And we got lots and lots of cool interviews and color and fun experiences around this. So we want to share some of those highlights with you. That's later on in hour two of the show, when we would be having our business chat with somebody. But we don't, because it's the fifth Wednesday of the month. All right. 
Moving on to talk Drake, who's up for this? Drake is just one of the major artists who's vanishing or could vanish from TikToks due to a licensing dispute between Universal Music Group and the social media platform. Universal Music also represents Taylor Swift, Adele, Bad Bunny, Billie Eilish, and UNG says it's tried to reach a deal with TikTok through the issues, appropriate compensation for its artists and songwriters, protecting human artists from the harmful effects of AI and online mm. safety for TikTok's users. But I don't think they're coming to a negotiation just yet. In case you forgot what Drake sounds like, here's him performing his 2018 hit, God's Plan. God's Plan. God's Plan. I hold back sometimes I won't. I feel good sometimes I don't. I finesse down Western Road. I mean, first of all, I want to get your immediate reactions, Grant, on just something like this, an issue like this being tackled the way it is, the representation that these artists are getting to be like, hey, no, this is nonsense. We got to deal with the rights here. And TikTok being a, an absolute major platform for just, you know, any kind of music consumption at all, uh, let alone following artists and, and their uh, personas being taken uh, with TikTok users in general. What are your reactions? Yeah, I mean, it's just hard for a layperson, I think, to appreciate this fully because I do think rights, you know, compensation, making sure artists are treated, paid uh, accordingly is super important. But then at the end of the line, it's just going to mean consumers aren't able to listen to and share our favorite music and our favorite artists. So if I'm understanding this story correctly, because they're mm -hmm. going to pull it. So, yeah, I just don't know. I think that it's important, but I also just think this is the kind of thing that should be handled behind the scenes so that you and I never even really see it or are affected by it. Like, come on, they can do it. What do you think? That's fair. But the only thing... Uh, that I find as a restriction to that sentiment altogether is people are creating the deep fakes. People are using the AIs. People are like the everyday consumer and user of TikTok um, are able to go out and say, here's a Drake sound alike, look alike, whatever. And oh my God. And it can get very convoluted just in what we're consuming, whether it's real, whether it's AI, whether it's deep fakes and having to, I guess, um, sorted out among all these different things, right? Entertainment and content in general. So I'm not sure if it can be done that way, Grant. Yeah, that's fair. I think that AI is, uh, it's, it's just such an unknown. And we've had this bizarre sort of like arms race in AI. Um, and obviously from kind of a celebrity and artist point of view, it's, very disruptive mm -hmm. and uh i can certainly understand how it's maybe being abused exploited not necessarily for the right reasons definitely definitely and we often bring up rights without necessarily knowing where to go with it but say hey who's handling the rights of all this stuff and and the uh writing as well as the artistry and the, the especially i guess with the performers the faces of the music and the entertainment realm and saying like if ai takes over all this stuff or as it is taking air over all this stuff when are the rights going to be addressed so 
We'll see. We'll see where it goes. Clearly, this group uh, has something to say about it. We're going to take a break and come back with headlines. Grant, you're going to lead that for us because you got some stories, including how we can protect kids from developing problems with gambling. That's a serious one. Jeff Ryman's also going to join us to go through the uh, conversation. We'll be right back. It's Kelly and Ramya. Don't miss a minute. Kelly and Ramya will be right back. From you? Yep. I just wanted to met. Welcome back. It's Kelly and Ramya on AMI Audio, AMI TV, and podcasts. Grant Hardy and myself, Ramya Amadan, are hanging out together for the remainder of the two-hour show and we're going to get into headlines this is where producer grant hardy gets us some stories to think about to ponder through and of course chat about because it's a talk show hey i'm grant hardy and welcome to the headlines segment i tackle everything from health and lifestyle to accessibility and tech i have it all right here on kelly and ramia Also, Jeff Ryman is joining us on this segment because, Jeffy, you're like, I'm available to talk. And, uh, Grant, you picked out these articles, and I think we're going to have a good time with at least the first one that we always get to. I think so. Hello, Jeff. Welcome to the program. Hey, um, it's good to be here. Thanks for having me. I kind of dig being, what do you call it? Like an armchair backseat parent. Like I have no kids, but I've talked about a lot of parenting uh, stuff in the last couple of weeks. So uh-huh. hopefully I'm not driving people crazy. Uh, but I did see this article from the Canadian press that I thought was interesting. And it talks about gambling uh, and how we can dissuade kids and teens and young adults from becoming problem gamblers. And I mentioned something pretty interesting, which is that not only are sports betting and online wagers just so accessible, which is one of the reasons why online gambling is uh, increasing for youth and young adults, but it also actually says that a strong risk factor is an early win. So if a kid places or a teen places some sort of bet and wins big, that kind of gets the like dopamine going in the brain. Uh, and apparently that can actually lead to uh, early onset of problem gambling. Uh, so we have some things that parents and adults can do to help teens avoid problem gambling uh, behaviors and addiction. But just curious if you guys had any thoughts so far, we'll just get right into it i really need to know what context of gambling we're talking about because i still i'm trying to wrap my head around what exactly is going on are we talking like sports betting or are we talking about in school poker game (laughs) like what's happening yeah so i think the idea is you know uh so believe it or not one of the things they say is uh they say well giving a lottery guy ticket as a gift to a child or organizing a fantasy football game for a group of kids might seem harmless. I'm like, ah, I don't know about that. Mm. Uh, They warned that doing so can plant the seeds of gambling addiction. I have never heard of a kid being given a lottery ticket. I think it would be so disappointing for me. I'm like, "Uh, I prefer to get it 
toy, but I guess it's a thing. Uh, and they also say some parents are actually giving kids access to a credit card uh, with which they can use to, I guess, place online wagers and participate in betting. So they are, yeah. they are saying not to do that. I can see that actually, because I know a lot of kids are doing like delivery apps, you know, food delivery apps and stuff like that. And you do need a credit card for that. So I can kind of see kids giving, uh, parents giving their teens access to a, a credit card. And in uh, they, purchases as well, right? Like there's so many ways that you can actually be uh, using credit cards in gambling like soft gambling ways, I want to say, without even necessarily exactly. realizing that that's what's happening. Sorry, before you continue, Jeffy, when was the first time you bet on a sports thing? Uh, should I be truthful about yeah, this? Truthful. <laughs> I want to know, because I think it depends on the household you grow up in as well, or it does, like what you're interested in. It does. Are. It really does. Um, probably at like 12 years old, you know, it, it was harmless. You know, my dad would go down to the store and grab a Seemingly line. harmless. Yeah, very, very harmless, you know, a little $3 bet on something. Um, you know, it was just kind of fun to to do. It, I didn't really think anything of it. I didn't think that it was illegal or anything at the time. It was just me picking my favorite hockey teams to win. And if I won, I, I won, you know, 15, 20 bucks or, or whatever. So it does start at a young age and it does depend on the household. Um, and, and like you guys said, everything seems so accessible nowadays. You can gamble right on your phone. You guys mentioned the credit card situation where kids can somehow get a hold of their parents' credit card mm. or they might have their own credit card or whatever it may be. It, it's very accessible. And somebody who does gamble on my phone, I do have a couple of apps in which I do sports bet on. Uh, it, it is pretty easy to sign up. Uh, yes, obviously you need to confirm your 19 years of age. It's actually it's it's gotten to the point where you have to um, actually show and um, download an app that tracks exactly where you are. It's like a geolocator um, because if in in some provinces there's different rules and regulations. So here in Ontario, you have to be 19 years of age. Um, so you know there there are some sort of protocols that these apps and sites have, which is good. But again, there's so many different, pretty easy so ways. Easy. I mean, so. Uh, yeah, I mean, to answer your question, Rum, yes, I, I have been doing it from a young age, um, which is probably not good. But at the same time, um, you know, there are a lot of measures that you can go through as a parent, I think, to really hone in on the importance and the risks of gambling, yeah. because there are Absolutely. a lot of risks associated with it. And before that, to even identify what gambling could yeah. look like for your kid. Yeah. And going back to the... Um, uh, the lottery ticket grant. I think that, you know, from you and I, we're just like, what are you talking about? Who's just handing kids over a lottery ticket? But if you grew up in a family where hitting the lottery once a week or is kind of a norm, then perhaps, yeah, this is that trickle effect is more normalized than we realized as well. Oh, abs absolutely. I think it's a very, I can't really think of a appropriate word. It's not a cultural thing, but it's a very, uh, it's a very, oh, I can't think of the word. It's yeah. a very normalized thing within a family yes. unit yeah. or community. Like, it's easy for me to just say, oh, I would be annoyed to get a lottery ticket. But, like, sometimes people plan their lives or their their futures around playing the lottery mm. and coming up with strategies to, to beat it. Uh, I just wanted to mention as well that, like, Jeff, you're pretty much right on with what they they say in terms of they say don't 
ban gambling because you really cannot ban that kind of thing with teens if they want to work around it. They say more to address the many risks as well, like the risk of losing money rather than outright banning it. And they just say if you're if your child, your teen is preoccupied with gambling to the point where it has a negative effect on other aspects of their life, then it may be time yeah. to and seek help. Just just to piggyback off that, Grant, if you don't mind, um, you know, w- with the with the sports betting in particular, because it's become legalized in the last year and a half here in Canada. Um, there are still a lot of lack of rules and regulations. I feel That's like every so time unregulated. you watch, are you kidding me? It, it really, it really is. You know, um, you know, if, if you watch cable TV, usually I like to watch sports in every commercial break while I'm watching TV, there's at least one or two gambling promotions where it's like, join this website, join totally that website. Advertised. It's getting a little bit out of control. And as somebody who is on some of these sites, you know, I thought I wouldn't really mind but it's starting to get to that point where it's like okay where are we going to regulate things it's almost like the tobacco or mm-hmm. even the legalization of marijuana like there there are certain things that have been regulated and this one just seems to be sort of swept under the carpet by the government and i oh, know sure. they're kind of working on it i think with sports betting in particular there are still athletes that are currently playing the game promoting this type of stuff but I feel like I heard in the news recently that there are some regulations, they're they're really cracking down on that, where if you're a current professional athlete in Canada, um, there may be some regulations coming their way where they can't be sponsored by a certain thing or push something like mm. that, which which makes Ooh, total sense, really. So I, I hope that there's more regulations like that coming down because I think it's starting to get out of hand. And if a kid starts seeing this, they're going to be more enticed to enter that that site and, and you know well it's pretty sketch right like the thing is okay so i started consuming ufc very casually very recently but the way that the um betting works is exactly as you say jeffy first of all it's available and accessible anywhere and everywhere thank goodness 90 percent of this stuff is not accessible with screen reader because i'd be screwed <laughs> and then <laughs> secondly the um aspect of like knowing sports in order to bet is becoming less and less necessary like you could mm-hmm. just kind of wing it you know Letter. just just yeah just look at the headlines and say yeah i vote for this or i think this is going to happen or that sounds like a plausible sitch and just put your money on it and so it's not even like you got to be a hardcore sports fan maybe with certain sports but especially with ufc you don't have to know anything to place these bets so really like what is the um what what are the the kind of guidelines at all, right? There's nothing. It's like going and buying a lottery ticket. Yeah, it, it, it's the the pendulum has swung from one side to the other really rapidly. And I think that's something that a lot of us could see coming from a mile away. Uh, but like we've said, like this is starting to get a little bit out of hand. Um, so I, I hope there is more stuff that gets that, you know, hopefully the government cracks down on this type of stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I think there's certain ways in which you can go about it personally. I think there there have been some campaigns, and, and I really like the slogan. I think it's, um, you know, in, in Ontario, there's a lottery here. 
um, that says, you know, know your limits, play within it. Like you should really know nice. that there are certain protocols that you should go into gambling. Even with. that's a I, fun slogan. You're like, I kind of want to play now. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. But there are certain things I think that, you know, you should know, uh, especially the risks associated with it. You know, yeah. losing a lot of money uh, is one thing, but it can also become an addiction. It really is addicting. Oh, of and I know it is. For me personally, when I first like you know got into to, to sports gambling, not like I was betting hundreds of dollars every week. Like a, a ten dollar bet is a big bet to me. But you know, if you lose, you're like, oh, I, you start to chase it, right? You're like, oh, I, I can make it up in this way, or I can yeah. bet on this and, and and make it up there. You really need to be able to be in control of it. So you know, there's there's a lot of risks. I could talk about this for hours about how the rules and regulations have just been swept under the carpet. But um, yeah. yeah, very interesting topic. And I hope people can really pay attention mm. to this type of stuff, Grant. Yeah. Are there any yeah. more tips, Grant? Because yeah. we got our two cents in, clearly. Uh, yeah. I mean, basically just basically just not ban, you know, monitor very carefully. They urge people not to give credit cards. I, I think we need to come up with a solution. Uh, solution for this you know a little way that kids can spend a little bit of cash online without a credit card like the virtual credit cards that they do in the u.s uh but just really really monitor them and and look for addiction issues or mm. other ways that it's affecting uh your life rather yeah. than banning the practice exactly kind of a middle I, of the road approach exactly where you're still exactly. having the conversations around gambling and not necessarily saying you know no this is yeah, unacceptable and like restricted. You, you would hint like you would handle any other yeah. major issue for teens, like drugs and substance mm -hmm. addiction and, and otherwise. Mm -hmm. Definitely an important discussion. For sure. Uh, Jeffy, thanks for being candid. We'll talk to you later. Yeah, absolutely, guys. My pleasure. See you later. And Grant Hardy with the headlines. That's Mondays and Wednesdays on the show. After the break, we have entertainment with Corinne Van Dusen. She wants to know if Taylor Swift is going to make it to her boyfriend's Travis Kelsey Super Bowl game after her four-night stint in Japan performing. Ooh, we'll find out after the break on Kelly and Romeo. Stick around and learn something new. Kelly and Ramya return with more in a moment. We're hanging out with you here on a Wednesday afternoon. That is if you're listening to the show on a Wednesday. It's Kelly and Ramya. Ramya Amuthan and not Kelly McDonald. He's actually getting some tech stuff figured out at home with his home studio. So Grant Hardy is filling in midweek. And we got lots going on for you as usual. A variety of conversations. Let's get to entertainment with Corinne Van Dusen. Hi, I'm Corinne Van Dusen. Join me as we dive into the latest entertainment stories from music, television, and movies here with Kelly and Ramya. Corinne, how's it going? We check in with you every other Wednesday, so it's kind of like uh, two weeks of catch-up for entertainment news. Has a lot been going on? Uh, yeah, a lot's been going on, and we're going to talk about my favorite subject coming up, 
as you teased before the, <laughs> yeah. uh, mm-hmm. the break, mm-hmm. but uh, we have a story before that. Yeah, we've sandwiched the Taylor's, the T-Swizzy talk in the middle, okay, because <laughs> we're practicing patience out here. Um, <laughs> better known for her acting, we want to talk about Kate Hudson because she's now getting into the music biz, and we're getting a first taste of her new album. So, first of all, what do we know about her foray into music? Well, uh, looking into it further, it's just the single that's out Aww. right now. So, but mm. we do have information about the album coming up. Okay. So she first revealed her plans to record an album in April of 2022. She shares a lot of stuff on Instagram. So at this time, she shared a picture of her singing in a rehearsal space and wrote, finally realized it's time to say, forget it and sing. Oh. And then on December 31st, first of uh this year she also shared a series of photos and videos from her first concert appearance which happened uh in aspen colorado there it was so she's kind of been hinting at it for the last like two years ish to say you know i i'm married to a a musician right now i've been i've been engaged and married to other musicians so she knows a lot about it (laughs) Uh, we may remember her from her role in Almost Famous, which is a big movie about music. And now she is finally getting behind the mic. I'm not surprised that she could sing, actually. So, Me neither, but I don't know what she sounds like. Uh, has she done any promotion for the single and for the album? Well, other than the Instagram yeah. post, she released a teaser for the trailer earlier this week. So the single is called Talk About Love. Mm-hmm. It's... 13 second trailer she's seen in a fur coat and sunglasses driving around los angeles in a vintage car the words talk about love then flash on the screen the single was actually released yesterday i can tell you what it sounds like uh-huh. if you like yes uh it's a synthy pop rock anthem so think like 1980s kind of feel she has a very like 1970s sort of you know stevie nicks kind of voice Mm -hmm. that goes along with it uh and she's got some big names behind it actually because she wrote it with uh her fiance who is singer guitarist danny fukuyawa and four non-blondes lead singer and songwriter linda perry linda perry behind a lot a lot of great songwriting out there so uh, it is available online now and i listened to it earlier today and it's it's pretty fun like you know it kind of it has that vintage vibe as they say Mm. you know so the album artwork is her sitting in a vintage car you see her with her sunglasses her signature blonde curly hair uh and a um, fur coat that's uh you know like a vintage fur coat as they say which is brown and has long sleeves and she's got a smile on her face so if you uh if you're interested again it's called talk about love and you can just you know throw it into google and it'll show up yeah i mean it's like you said she's not new to celebrity um but it is probably some kind of a big deal for her to just like rip the band-aid and and do this as a thing um Mm -hmm. when's the album coming out so we can well, no official release date. Okay. It's just later this year. So she uh, actually pushed the single back by about a year. So um, we, by saying no official release date is kind of, I think, like a catch-all to be like, yep, it's coming sometime because <laughs> she did put an original date on the single and then moved it back and then moved it back. So now this is kind of like, yeah, she's committing to us. She's like, we've yeah. told you we got to do it now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You said you're not surprised that she can sing. Uh, I'm curious if, like, you've had any other 
maybe not even recent, but any other memorable moment when an actor or actress or other celebrity turned to singer, um, when that moment came out and you're like, oh, I'm kind of down to listen to this person in this uh, other way. I would say that this is decades ago now, Jennifer Lopez. Oh, I true. remember yeah. when Jennifer Lopez was an actress and she went on, I don't know if you remember the show, uh, the Rosie O'Donnell show. Mm -hmm. And that's where she debuted um, her first single. That's where she first performed as a singer, you know, herself. She wasn't Selena the movie, but she lip sank in that movie yes. yeah. to Selena's songs. But this was like, I remember watching it being like, wow, yeah, I see it. I can get on board. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she's she's just very she was a very natural singer, very natural to get into singing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, what about right. you, Ramya? Do you have a do you have a, a moment uh, as actor singer? I don't think so because the thing is, like for me, I, I remember like the one hit wonders, but I don't know what the heck they were doing before they got into singing, right? <laughs> so it's not necessarily that. But I am curious about Kate Hudson, so I'm going to listen to the song over the break. Come back with my Thanks. review. Um, absolutely. You, you said <laughs> Stevie Nicks a little bit sounding like. Mm -hmm. I want to yeah, know if that's... she sings sings or if she's right? just kind of uh, doing the thing. No, no, she sings sings. Yeah. Like from what I heard in. Yeah. Because I listened <laughs> to the single earlier today. And yeah, it's very because she was married to the lead singer of the Black Crows. Her her um, biological father is a singer. She was engaged to the lead singer of Muse. Her. Um, now her fiance is a singer and guitarist. So she's been around music. She knows, she knows the industry, mm. you know, I, she would have people, I know she's Kate Hudson, but like being married to and engaged people like that. I'm, I'm going to say that she would have people to be like, mm, eh, eh. Yeah, like true. if she couldn't, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like don't do it, Kate. <laughs> okay, yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> Got it. And it it doesn't sound like a vanity project, so to speak. Like it's not mm -hmm. it's not something she's just like, oh yeah, okay, I'll throw this together and, and see what happens. Like yeah. she has been pretty methodical about putting it, sounds it together. Like it. Yeah. yeah mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, absolutely. Uh, we teased it. People have been waiting. It's time to do some math. Taylor Swift style. She's going to be performing a four night stint in Japan just before her boyfriend uh, Travis Kelsey's Super Bowl game in Las Vegas. Wondering if she can make it. Obviously, this is a big uh, entertainment story right now. I don't know <laughs> if she can just ask her private jet pilot to speed it up a little bit or how she's going to make it. Can you give us the latest scoop on this? Well, if uh, as Ramia knows, we talk about Taylor Swift pretty every, much every, every time. Weeks. Every time, yeah. <laughs> so they are the biggest <laughs> entertainment story. The latest is uh, if you are an entertainment watcher, if you're a sports watcher, you would have seen and would have heard about Kansas City, who Travis Kelsey plays for, winning the AFC Championship, and she went onto the field to celebrate. She continues to bring millions of dollars to the NFL in promotion. She's in the private suite. Uh, we're showing a picture right now of her standing beside Travis Kelsey on the field. He's got his arm around her and he has his AFC championship uh, T-shirt on and baseball cap. So there was lots They're of legit footage. a couple. Yep. Of them 
embracing, kissing, talking, having a good time. There's still a lot of people saying, well, they're showing her more than the, the game. <laughs> oh, uh, gosh. Is that, why, is that why Brock Richardson <laughs> followed up the words Taylor Swift with the word yuck the other day? Like, that was, <laughs> wow. That was a moment on the show. Yeah. I so, mean... Well, I was reading a article about it the other day and they made very good points. Like you, you know how much they show J Drake during Raptors games, you know how yeah. much they show yeah. like, you know, in the eight, it's all started in, the like, all the way back to the eighties. Jack Nicholson was a huge LA Lakers fan. You know how much mm. they showed him mm. like celebrities are always at games, right? Famous celebrities who date athletes are going to be shown. Sometimes they're, they're more entertaining than the actual game. The game. Um, yeah. Yeah. So you're I mean, adding to it usually. You don't, you don't mess with taylor swift fans they are a massive fan base to say the least very enthusiastic so i guess we have to ask how is she doing this math in terms of getting to the super bowl game on time especially since it's so important to the game and the viewership and her boyfriend how's she gonna do it <laughs> so i don't know if it's important to the <laughs> to the viewership. Well, it's important to. Oh no! This is going to be the one of the only reasons why I tune into the Super Bowl to find out yeah. if Taylor Swift made it. Okay. So one user on X, uh, formerly <laughs> Twitter, did the travel calculations, and okay. so they're speculating that yes, she can. So here's the math. Taylor Swift performs in Japan the night before the Super Bowl. It will end around 10 p.m. Tokyo time, which is 5 a.m. Las Vegas time. That's where the Super Bowl is being played. The flight from Tokyo to Vegas takes 12 hours. Whoa. So that means she can arrive at 5 p.m. local time the day before the Super Bowl, 25 hours and 35 minutes before kickoff, get a nap, and head to the game. Wow. I mean, at least at least she doesn't have to worry about, like, can you imagine being, like, cramped into even, like, first class for that amount of time? Like, at least she can probably have lots of room to get her beauty sleep and stuff mm. on her private jet on the way yeah also did she not yeah, plan this been... japan tour around the, the super bowl <laughs> like did she not I get enough the, notice i think the tour was planned before the relationship started oh so. <laughs> okay yeah i forgot to factor that in. <laughs> yeah right and she is doing hilarious. all she can to to get there it looks like so yeah and if like as you said grant if you have a private jet like have wings will fly right uh-huh i'll say fan base is waiting guys like viewership depends on this uh yeah. people are gonna be so mad okay so the 2024 grammy nominees nominees have been announced who are the leading artists with the nominations this year well it is sizza who has the year's most nominations as nine Whoa. followed by phoebe bridgers with seven and then a lot of artists with six, including Miley Cyrus, Billie Eilish, Olivia Rodrigo, and Taylor Swift. I'm surprised that it's SZA with the most noms. Oh, That's Sizz, really awesome. This is doing awesome. Yeah, she's killing it out there. She's uh, really killing it. There are mm. three new categories, though. Uh, so things are looking a little different. What are they? Yep, they are Best African Music Performance, Best Alternative Jazz Album, and Best Pop Dance Recording. So... The uh, Academy says, by introducing these three new categories, we're able to acknowledge and appreciate a broader array of artists, and they hope to expose a wider range of music to fans worldwide. What is alt jazz? Alternative I mean, jazz? Yeah. I guess, because I think the other one is classic, classical jazz. 
So it's like the your like your standard your standard jazz, I guess. Um, modern then, like smooth jazz or like electronic jazz with synth jazz in it. Or... Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Like more electronic. Mm. Oh wow, we have so much homework to do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> now, obviously, we know with award ceremonies and and all of this stuff in general, Corinne. But in the with the Grammys uh, not excluded from this conversation, interest has been going down. So, do you watch the Grammys? Oh. Absolutely. Mm. I watch the Grammys. <laughs> I've watched the Grammys for a long time because they're just, they're kind of a different award show because the people who win, um, for lack of a better term, like the the, the popular music awards, yeah. so the MTV awards and the Billboard awards are not the ones that win Grammys because Grammys encompass a lot of other places. You know, you, you don't see the best African music performance or jazz album in in the other ones. So you get to see a lot of other stuff. Um, I watched last year with Trevor Noah is hosting again this year and he hosted last year. Yeah. And there's always a few kind of like, you know, cringe moments that you watch for. Like last year, he asked Taylor Swift about the price of eggs because <laughs> the price of food was Why? going up. And she was like. I guess. I never buy my own food. <laughs> so it's what a it's savage. always oh, yeah, it's always fun to see stuff like that. So. Yeah. Oh, that's so funny. I want now. I want to go up see highlights from last year's because I feel like he would have just done that to be a troll. Um, that's really great. When are they airing? Uh, Sunday, February fourth, eight p.m. Eastern, five p.m. Pacific. Perfect. That's awesome. Oh. And I, in general, I want to say that with award uh, awards like this, I prefer to watch any of the music stuff over the TV stuff because you get actual performances and, you know, I guess snippets of what's going on in the music industry throughout, right? And then you can check out highlights that way as well, which is a little different from TV and movie and, and screen awards. Mm-hmm. Because if you have, I find if you haven't seen a lot of the stuff, like if you haven't yeah. seen the television, if you don't see the bear, you're like, great. Yeah, like you know, cool. the bear took everything. Right. But if you see something win music-wise, you could you know jump on your phone, listen to a two-minute song or whatever. Exactly. Like SZA just just taking over the whole thing. Apparently, awesome, Grant. Thank you so much. Thank you. Out with you in two weeks, where I'm sure Taylor Swift will come up again. We have Corinne Van Dusen join us every other Wednesday for entertainment. And on the flip side, we have Greg David joining us for TV talk. So kind of in the same realm of entertainment as uh, that segment goes. After the break, we got a Wednesday staple, which is the buzz. We got Beth Deer filling in a Newfoundland uh, man's quest to find the best fish and chips have gone viral. So let's talk about that after the break. Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv. On McDonald's, which I'll share with you way later at the end of the show. Um, but because I was checking out the story about McDonald's, I just now have been wanting McDonald's for hours now. Like McNuggets. Is that what they're called? Chicken McNuggets? Do they put MIG in front of the nuggets? Yep. Dare I say, that's one of my favorite foods still. I I liked it when I was four years old, and now I'm 33, (laughs) and I still dig my McNuggets. So so what can I say? It's a go-to, right? (laughs) Do they still do the plum sauce, or is it just barbecue now? Oh, no. I I believe so. 
Mm. Uh, definitely sweet and sour or sweet and sour. That's what it is. Yeah, I think they got rid of plum sauce. I was really bummed about that. Uh, Anyways, we've been featuring a lot more McDonald's than we ought to be featuring on the show lately. I but... just, I hope we're getting paid. I don't think so. <laughs> I haven't gotten my McNuggets yet okay, in the yes. meal, in the mail. <laughs> Do you know what? I am pretty sure, I don't know exactly how the game works, but you know the McDonald's Monopoly yeah. thing? Yeah. I think I actually had a big winning piece that Get we out. discovered as I was throwing out some no. like receipts and stuff, and it was expired. And I'm just like, come on, like that's not that's fair, right? unbelievable. So you were just tossing and realized that ooh, this was a winning line. Pretty much. Oops. Wow. <laughs> Gotta pay more him. attention to the things that are uh, glued to our McDonald's stuff. Oh yeah. <laughs> Containers. Anyways, let's bring on Beth because I know she can't get enough of McDonald's either. Mm -hmm. uh, Beth Deer joins us for the Buzz Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. She's filling in for Bill Shackleton at the moment, and uh, she brings a lot of interesting and entertaining stories for us. So it's back-to-back -back entertainment right now, Beth. You, I was telling people yesterday that you were not keen on trying the McRib, but are you a yeah. anti-fan of McDonald's in general, or are you okay No, I love me some McDonald's. Do not yeah. get me wrong. I love some McDonald's. I uh, do have a little note for you, Ramia. Cody wanted me to thank you for reminding him. <laughs> he said the McRib was just as good as he remembered it. Get out, really? Ooh. Like, yeah, he said that he loved it. He, like, wanted to have another one for dinner. And I oh, was my. like, really? He didn't just like, get two when he went? Two, two in one day. <laughs> well, we have a McDonald's that's like three blocks from our house. Oh, that is dangerous. He was gonna walk to like offset the <laughs> offset the calories, but yeah. no, love me some McDonald's, and I think the McRib for me, like I kind of what Kelly said yesterday, where like when I envision it, I just like imagine like rib bones like in a burger. Just, yeah, no, Bleh. no, the way you guys yeah, imagine it doesn't sound that good. Kind of sketches me out a bit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, so anyways, enough airtime for McDonald's because they're going to come back again later to spend a couple minutes with us. So what do you want to talk about? So we have a few articles that I am going to try and get to today. We normally only ever get to one because, well, me and Romy just can't <laughs> stop talking. Um, yeah. So Edmonton new home arsons, brand new unoccupied homes have been going up in flames all over Edmonton and sources tell CTV news that Edmonton, um, all the fires are apparently related to an extortion scheme. In November, a new build was destroyed uh, in a Southeast neighborhood. And then a week later, another house on the same block was also burnt. Um, Edmonton Fire and Rescue Services said that there was between sorry, said that between November 1st and January 2nd, there have been nine fires involving under construction houses. Um, and basically all of the owners of these homes um, are part of the South Asian community. So they are all being targeted through like WhatsApp with calls and texts, basically saying like, you know, you don't pay us this amount of money we're going to light your houses on oh fire. My. And wow, that's, that's exactly what's happening. But it's not just happening here in Edmonton. It's happening in Peel. It's also happening in some places in Vancouver. Um, so crazy. It's the most bizarre thing I've ever heard, especially because I think that usually arsonists, from what I've heard, 
work alone. Like it's kind of a secret thing, oh, you know, so they don't true. really, they mm-hmm. don't really promote it very much. So to think that there's such a targeted campaign where people are reaching out via a phone number and targeting a certain group of people, that's, that's really extreme. I know it's actually so scary. Do we know like how big this kind of group is or uh, like any more actual, I don't know, tactile detail on what's going on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where to get a hold, Um, how to get a hold of them? No. I guess we don't know that. I'm not exactly, I'm not exactly sure how they're doing it, but a lot of the calls and stuff are staying anonymous, which to me, I'm like, if you're calling someone through WhatsApp, like I know as a kid living in the UK, I don't know if you guys were able to do the same thing here. If we wanted to do prank calls, we could put like, I'm pretty sure it was like plus three, four or something like that Mm -hmm. in front of our you to hide your caller ID. And yeah. It would, yeah, hide your caller ID. So, but with WhatsApp, are they, they're, they're, they can't be able to do that. Like, Yeah, and not only that, but I'm pretty sure you, although you can hide your caller ID, it's still something where, simple. you know, like if you're, yeah, like if you're doing something really extreme, I, I believe that in most cases the authorities... Uh, can identify you. I mean, I know internet yeah. numbers and stuff like that are sus, but in terms of WhatsApp, I would think it would be their mobile number. So huh. you would almost not take it seriously, right? Like if you're getting these kind of threats over WhatsApp, oh, you're like, yeah. okay, a scam, obviously. And then yeah, I know. And then there's actual proof of people's houses getting burnt down. Like this is unreal to me. It, it I know it's feels... so scary. Like it says that they've all pretty much like all of the business owners obviously who have been building the houses have now hired security for their houses that aren't ready yet and for themselves because they're scared. So tell us again, just to clarify, who is being targeted uh, allegedly here? Is it the people, the families? Okay, so it is the builders. So it's the home builders, yeah. So So this is kind of a protest um, against construction uh, of these kind of things? So... In my personal opinion, it kind of sounds a bit like jealousy. It sounds like a lot of the home builders are people who didn't come from very much or maybe immigrated to Canada and have made something of themselves or obviously making good money building homes and selling them on. And, you know, someone someone's pretty pissed about that, I guess. Like, Yeah. Just- just fear too. I, I remember listening to a podcast, long story short, where some someone was uh, just writing threatening letters to someone who was buying a home. And in the end, the people were so scared just over these letters, they sold their home at a loss. They never moved in. So it's kind of like an e well, I won't say easy, but it's a, a way to spread a lot of fear through the community too. Like, yeah. I don't know. Once you rebuild that, whatever, like, would you guys want to move in? I don't. I don't know. But you could yeah, be right. It 100%. may just may, maybe be just literally targeting builders and and the workers. Yeah, I mean, like now the conversations around housing are just mm-hmm. everywhere, right? Like people are oh, yeah. mad about one thing or another. Things feel so unfair on so many levels, whether you're renting or buying or building or whatever it is from like micro to macro. And I'm thinking like the assumptions could be all over the place around what this is. 
Absolutely. And no one, no one's happy right now. Like we actually have some friends who are, you know, building a house through one of these home builders in Edmonton. They're in West Edmonton and they're starting to get to a point where like they're actually scared that their home because it's unfinished is going to be one of the ones that is burnt down before they've even had a chance to, you know, Oh, that's it. You don't have to target. But also like everyone's losing money here. That's it. You don't have to target everyone, right? Just targeting a few people spreads fear into the entire community. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Anyway, on on a brighter note, let's switch to what you guys teased. Oh, good. We're getting to it. There is a man in Newfoundland who is on the quest to find the best fish and chips, and it's gone viral. So... It's so funny. So he basically like started this Facebook group years ago um, about like where to find the best fish and chips. And somehow a bunch of people in the UK and Ireland have jumped on this bandwagon and the group gets thousands of new followers a day at this point in time. And uh, he's even said that like he, it could even be like a full-time job because of like how much time it's taking up. Mm-hmm. Um but this this guy really made me laugh because he uh, he uh, says a few quotes that are just really funny. But basically, it took him years to build it to a point where there was like a few thousand members. Now there's crazy amounts every single day. Um, users, especially those from England, um, take their fish and chips very, very seriously. That's what he said, which I, yes, yes, they do. Um, he said... I think it's because it's a part of their regional identity. He said, in Newfoundland, we see fish and chips as being ours, where they do really feel that way. They feel very strongly, especially (laughs) in the UK, which I agree. Um, It's a competition of who owns fish and chips. Like, (laughs) it's ours. Yeah, exactly. So far, according to him, it seems like Yorkshire region in England has maybe claimed to having like the most fans of fish and chips. But he said it's gotten to a point where he has to delete around 200 comments a day just because they are so over the top and like rude and crazy. Um, They use bad language and I'm trying to run a respectable joint here. (laughs) (laughs) What a guy. I'm just all the all the um, online drama and stuff that we see. I'm just surprised it gets this intense over. Are you chips, seriously but... surprised? Like I- I'm yeah, thinking, I mean, how could he have not seen this coming? I'm on yeah, the opposite okay, side. All right, fair <laughs> enough. But you know, truth be yeah. told, it's a hard thing to get right. <laughs> no, it's a, yeah, it's a it, hard it thing really to get is. right. I've also had some like really, really, really terrible is. fish and chips before. It's sadly yeah, also in the too. UK. That was really disappointing. Um, Seriously, Romeo, yeah, I was going to say, I've had bad fish and chips, but only in Canada. No. <gasps> oh, okay. One fish and chips You're starting experience some online I had. drama right now. I know. See, Sorry, see? we knew. We knew this was where <laughs> we go. This guy with the Facebook group should have seen it coming. But no, Beth, seriously, I went to the UK and I had one experience of fish and chips there because we were only there for a day and it was not good. I'm not sure if that was a good fish and chips and I just didn't love it because I don't know what the Mm. taste of good fish and chips is supposed to be or something Um, Mm -hmm. or if it was really just not a good experience. I have no way to tell now. Well, where were you? Where were you in the UK? And I can tell you if your location was a problem. (laughs) 
London. <laughs> I feel uh, like it's going to be a no. Bad fish and yeah, chips. I don't know. I feel like maybe you just had bad luck, but like yeah. I grew up relatively like close to the sea. Like where I'm from is very close to Brighton. So like I feel like any fish and chips around any place by the sea has to be good or like literally no one eats that because they're just like this is like so gross or like fake or like do you know what I mean like everywhere tries to be so authentic I mean I guess I'll just have to go back and check again Beth thank you we gotta go thank you guys like way over time uh Beth Deer joins us for the buzz filling in for Bill Shackleton Wednesdays Thursdays and Fridays you can check out this segment um, in the second hour of Kelly and Remya, we're going to feature some highlights from the short-term placement program visit that we made to uh, W. Ross McDonald School in Brantford, Ontario. Also, we're talking to Daniel Woodrow of the Underground Comedy Railroad Tour. This is a really incredible project, so we want to learn more about it. But after the break, talking about audios described performances coming up in Winnipeg with community reporter Vic Pereira. We'll be back. Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv. Welcome to Hour 2 of Kelly and Ramya. Grant Hardy with Ramya Amuthan today and a lot of stuff to get through. It's going to be a great hour coming up. And uh, first of all, it's our Wednesday and this time it's from Winnipeg with Vic Pereira. Hey, Vic, welcome to the show and happy Monday. Thank you. It's, uh, well, Monday is... Or, sorry, I now. said happy Monday, didn't I? It's happy Wednesday. <laughs> you can tell I have my stuff together. Um, okay. I wish it was Friday. I know, right? I'm, I'm glad it's not Monday. Uh, we got a lot to cover here today, uh, starting with some described theater from the Prairie Theater Exchange. Yes, Prairie Theater Exchange is having Everything Has Disappeared, and the Saturday performance on February 3rd is going to have audio description available. So anybody requesting the service will be given a headset and someone will be somewhere in the theater providing description of the visual elements that are taking place on stage between the dialogue. Now, is this the show that you're planning to see or get, give us a little bit of an overview of this show? Why should we be excited about it? Why is, are you glad that they're describing this show in particular? Well, I'm, I'm going to this show because the, the premise is what would the world be like if every... Filipino person disappeared and it's it, it, I don't it's not labeled as a comedy or a drama it didn't have a categorization so it's going to be interesting to see how this ends up then the good thing about Prairie Theatre Exchange too is is if you have a disability you can bring an attendant with you so I thought that's quite generous considering they're providing me with audio description and allowing me to to bring a guest as, as well for, for the price of one ticket so I'm I can't say enough how, uh, how gracious that is of them. The, uh, the service comes through another theater group in Winnipeg of people with disabilities. They call themselves uh, Sick and Twisted. 
because every performer has a disability. And that's where they got their start by providing audio description to the shows, to their performances specifically. And then now Prairie Theatre Exchange and Manitoba Theatre Centre will bring them in for specific performances to provide the description for their plays that they put on. It's always awesome to be able to bring that other party. And what a great way to convince someone to go to the theater with you too. Do you, do you usually, you let them go for free, right? Or do you kind of say, oh, we're splitting up the ticket price here between the two of us? <laughs> well, it's, uh, I'm going with my wife, so it's, it's pretty ah. much the same. Point. But we, we support the arts regardless. You know, we, we, we would have bought the two tickets because we have many friends in the Filipino community and some of us will be joining us at the play as well. So be, so that's why we're motivated to see this play. Mm-hmm. Now, I think you and said you... Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. I asked your question because I think I know where you're going. No, yeah. I believe you mentioned there is one other described performance that you've just learned about. Yes, I just learned about it last night. It's going to be at the Manitoba Theatre Centre. And it's, uh, the play is called Among Men. It's about two poets, Al Purdy and Milton Acorn, whom I never heard of. And uh, I guess in 10 years, they're supposed to be famous, but right now they're uh, figuring out how to build an A-frame. And they're probably imbibing in a little bit more alcohol than is probably safe when you're working with power tools. Okay, so what what makes this uh, especially interesting? The uh, the interesting part for me is uh, Manitoba Theatre Centre is is significantly larger than uh, Prairie Theatre Exchange. It's not mm. as intimate, so the, usually they bring in a lot of uh, classic plays, like whether it be from Shakespeare, Sound of Music. People mm-hmm. are familiar. So this one seems to be. Uh, getting out of their comfort zone. So I'm intrigued by that because in the summer, I also attend a lot of the fringe performances. So I I like it when theaters uh, try something that's a little bit off the beaten path. Yeah. What's intriguing about about live audio description, it's even though you have a, a headset or you can bring your own to connect to the device, unlike the movies where they, these people, they don't have a projection booth to step into. So mm. they're actually somewhere in the audience or somewhere in the theater, and they're trying not to disturb people around them. So it almost sounds like uh, somebody's in the back lane trying to uh, sell you something. It's, it's very nefarious while they're trying to keep their voice down, but yet loud enough for you to hear over the headset. I find that uh, I'm rather amused by, by how it works. Oh, I know, right? I don't know how much if you I'm totally blind. I don't know uh, what perspective you come from but uh sometimes it's interesting hearing your companion describe the person who's trying to describe the play if you can see them because oftentimes sighted people have to do like even though we can't see them we're just listening they have to do like hand gestures and you know this and that just to sort of bring the words to to mind you know what i mean and and like you i don't have any usable vision so anything that's described is something I appreciate. It's great to have that. How do you, how do you usually find the, um, the audio, like, especially with a tiny earpiece in a 
bigger theater, depending where you're situated, do you, do you find that they've gotten into a point where it's pretty good? You're not really missing uh, you know, a lot of descriptions. Personally, I find what works best, it's, it's the old over-the-ear Sony Walkman-style headphones where it's just some light foam over the ear because it doesn't block out the external sounds. And oh, that's smart. So that's why I usually bring my own just in case they, they have something that's a little bit more ear covering because I want to hear everything that's going around me. You know, the, the, the person unwrapping the, the candy when they shouldn't be. <laughs> exactly. You can say to your wife, hello, I haven't haven't had my fill yet. Come on. Yeah. Um, awesome. Uh, any uh, Festival du Voyageur is coming up. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, Festival du Voyageur, it's, it's the regular uh, festival that happens in the winter here. But this year they're struggling. I was going to submit some photos of uh, ice sculptures, but the weather has been too mild. Like today it's plus mm. six. So the, it's, they're having a difficult time. The uh, river trails, they opened for one day and they had to close them. And, you know, usually they, at uh, Voyager Park or at Whittier Park or uh, Fort Gibraltar, they'll have the ice bar where they have the bar made out of ice and then they serve you, you know, drinks and these uh, little glasses that have been formed out of ice. But mm-hmm. this year it's going to be a bit of a struggle because the, the weather is a lot warmer than it usually is for uh, southern manitoba this time of year i'll and say it, it, yeah it it, uh, it highlights the the, the fur trapping uh culture that uh, uh started in western canada so hundreds of years ago and they, they feature a lot of the the, the metis culture uh, i used to have a centioc fleche to wear but uh it, it's, i misplaced that so i'll definitely have to get a new one and, and then learn a lot of the uh, voyageur songs in french that uh I learned back when I was studying French through St. Boniface College and through work. Interesting. Now, I know you mentioned that, uh, for example, uh, very cold activities, ice sculptures, et cetera, uh, will be um, maybe a little bit more difficult this year. But it does seem like they have a lot of, uh, you know, musical performances, sleigh rides, stuff stuff like that. Uh, what What events are you looking forward to most? I usually participate in the outdoor events. So the sleigh rides might be wagon rides this year. And the the performances have expanded. First, it used to be primarily at uh, Voyager Park and the Centre Couture-Lahal Franco-Manitoban. But now they've they've expanded to other venues because I guess they're getting more performing artists coming in to to do Mm -hmm. the music and the uh, jingle dancing and the the different types of dancing that that take place. Can you remind us one? Uh, sorry, what was that? Becoming more and more popular, so they've had to expand to venues outside of uh, San Boniface. Well, that's good. At least, can you remind us uh, when this is taking place? When you're attending, where we can uh, get some more information? Okay, where it's we starting can get Friday, fifteenth of February, and it'll go on until Sunday, twenty fourth of February. It's a uh, 24-day festival, and you can look at the uh, festival website or go through the Tourism Winnipeg or Tourism Manitoba websites to get more information to if you want to attend more of the indoor type of uh, venues for the music and dancing and fiddle playing. Fantastic. It's great that you have so much events happening in the community uh, during the winter, because I know maybe not 
this year so much, but I do have family from Manitoba that can get pretty cold there. So it's nice to be able to get together. Uh, Vic, thank you so much for coming on. Well, thank you for having me. I enjoy speaking with you. Mm-hmm, you as well. That was our community reporter from Winnipeg, Vic Pereira. Coming up after the break, we're going to chat with co-founder Daniel Woodrow of the Underground Comedy Railroad Tour, which aims to create opportunities and introduce the voices of Black Canadian comedians to new audiences abroad. Stay with us. Don't go away. There's more great conversation with Kelly and Ramya right around the corner. Welcome back. It's Kelly and Remya. We're doing a lot of flipping and switching and swapping around this second hour, just uh, dealing with some stuff. But anyway, we are here with you nonetheless. And this is Kelly and Remya on AMI-tv, on AMI-audio, and on your favorite podcast platform. Uh, let's carry on to the next part of the show. This is going to be an interesting discussion. I believe we have Jeff Ryman back as well, do we? Not yet. Okay. Well, very soon we will have Jeff here to chime in on this conversation. A really important one, actually. Railroad Tour. Uh, This is a project to create opportunities to introduce the voices of black Canadian comedians to audiences abroad. And every year there's a new lineup of comics selected for their hilarious and uniquely Canadian comedic perspectives. And this is, of course, because it's comedy, everything from race to everyday life. This year's tour begins in Ottawa, or not Ottawa, what am I saying? In Toronto, exactly where I live, on February 3rd. And we're uh, here to talk to the founder of the tour, the co-founder of the Underground Comedy Tour, Daniel Woodrow, who's joining us uh, to talk a little bit more about the initiative now. I butchered a lot of it, Daniel, but we'll get to more of that information soon. It's nice to have you on the show. Hey, thank you for having me. You, you actually didn't do that bad. Uh, you I'm not name. able to hear Daniel, so uh, maybe we can uh, get to that shortly. But yeah. in the uh, meantime, let's get to some audio. I believe we have a trailer of the underground... Um, a railroad comedy tour ready to go, so let's hit that. Good night, mate. Wait, you weren't able. So I come up to her in like my least threatening voice. Uh, like, I can hear you, Rami. I think it's having some. May I help you? Great. What the hell is that? Why do you think I'm here? Oh, you like doing blackface, do you, Justin? Let's see how you like doing a whole month of blackface. <laughs> I went to Scotland. I've never seen so many broke white people in my life. Am I right? Am I, am I right? <laughs> yeah. It's gonna get worse. Strip clubs have black lights all over the place. And so your counterfeit money starts glowing like, oh. Do not call audience members witches, Daniel. You do this every time. So we will hopefully get to this conversation around the Underground Comedy Railroad tour uh, that's coming up very shortly. Uh, Daniel, do we have you on? Daniel? 
Nope, not yet. So, I don't think yet. In the meantime, we do have Grant here. Grant, let's talk about some other stuff going on. Sure. Um, because we are experiencing some technical yep. difficulty. Uh, guys, I want to talk about, let's see. Do you want ah, me here to? we go. Fellow passengers who are supporting a man who opened an emergency exit and walked on a plane uh, through an, a Mexican airport. One of the dozens of passengers stuck on a plane at Mexico City International Airport faces legal troubles for taking matters into his own hands to get relief. The flight, bound for Guatemala, had been delayed due to a maintenance issue. That's when the unidentified man opened an emergency door and stepped out on a wing for a while. The man was detained, but dozens of passengers signed a written copy of a statement saying the airline made them wait four hours without ventilation or water. Their statement says the passengers saved their lives. I, Norman Hall. Yeah, obviously I missed that important piece of detail, which was that he walked on the wing of the, <laughs> of the <laughs> plane, Grant. I was like, what? Okay, this is um, pretty incredible. Now, the first thing I think of is the adrenaline rush that you have to be experiencing in order to even go through with something like this. Now, obviously it wasn't in the air. It was... Uh, Pretty wild, though, nonetheless. Yeah, that's quite something. I mean, I almost have to hand it to someone who kind of takes it into their own hands because flying and disembarking and getting through everything has is, is just gotten so ridiculous that I almost have to hand it to him. And especially if you get a good, you know, selfie from the experience mm. too. Uh, but obviously maybe not something we would recommend here to try. It yeah. could be a little bit dangerous Definitely, and illegal. And illegal. <laughs> Definitely <laughs> the, um, you know, movie effect is there and we're thinking, what a superhero. And obviously, yes, it was helpful for the passengers and all of this, but I think you're right. I think that this kind of heroic thing could really send this um, message of like, oh, is that how we're supposed to react? Now, obviously, I don't think many of us are necessarily going through that progression of uh, or thought pattern, right? Like thinking, oh, yeah, the next time this happens, I will be the one to, you know, bust open the emergency exit. Uh, but have you ever had any experiences like this, even if it's not you? witnessing something like this go down or uh, maybe not even remotely close, but something that felt very unsafe or odd or exceptional for the circumstance? Oh, that's a deep We just live boring I, lives. <laughs> I don't think I've witnessed anything to that extent. Yeah, I mean, the stuff that we usually hear about in the disability community where wheelchairs are getting broken and yeah. people's belongings are getting he almost i've almost thought like oh my gosh what wouldn't i do to just be like i'm getting off the plane now i'm i'm going going forward i'm going up the ramp you know mm. whatever i'm not waiting for you uh but no haven't really experienced anything uh like that how about yourself i um had my phone stolen at an airport i'm trying to make this not a long story but basically i had my phone stolen it fell out of my pocket or whatever somebody had taken it and um we were this was right before boarding so right at the gates and uh i made such a stink about it it was me and my dad it was at the philadelphia international airport and they caught the man with the phone 
while he was on the plane. So it was another passenger getting on the same plane as me. Oh, my gosh. And um, some officers came in. I don't know if they were officers or flight attendants. I might not be remembering this part of it correctly. But, you know, they came in and they took the man. Uh, they checked him out, gave me my phone back while we were seated in the plane. It was a big deal, or at least it felt like a big deal, and um, escorted him off the plane like he didn't even make it on the plane. So I have no idea what happened post this experience, this encounter. All I know is that when I got my phone back, it came without the lid. This was the Nokia N95, like back in the day Ooh, where you could really just I slide that the Nokia. Right, the Rick. So you could just kind of slide the... Um, the lid off the phone, like the the cover, uh, the back cover off the phone and get access to the battery. The battery was there, the phone was on, but there was no lid. I had a duct tape phone for a while after. So that was kind of juicy as an experience. That's juicy, that's pretty surreal. But you know, the guy got off the phone, or the, the flight, and he's thinking, oh, crap, my flight's going to be delayed now. I have to wait for the next flight. <laughs> exactly. I wonder what happened to that guy. I wonder what they I did with him after. Uh, a manager of a Parks Canada underwater archaeologist team says last year was a good season for archaeologists diving into the Arctic Ocean. 68 dives were made into the Arctic Ocean to excavate the wrecks of the two Franklin expedition ships in the waters off Nunavut's King William Island. Franklin's ships set out with 129 men in 1845 to look for the Northwest Passage and never returned, making their fate one of the great mysteries of the North. Team manager Jonathan Moore says climate change is damaging the wreck of one of the ships as less sea ice means it's vulnerable to currents and waves caused by winter storms. Still, divers continue to bring up dozens of artifacts, including pistols, coins, and personal items like boots and shoes. Naira Ahmed, The Canadian Press. Oh, man. Oceans fascinate me mm. so much because it's it's the part of the Earth that we have no control over. I mean, obviously, we don't actually have control as much as we think over any part Anything, of the world. Yeah. But the idea that the ocean is so powerful that you can go, like, to another continent or something and you find a little piece of plastic from, like, Canada somewhere in the ocean or washed up, washed up on a beach. I don't know, Ravia. It's just, it's such a mystery. And I wonder if we'll ever really get to the bottom of how our activities influence how the ocean interacts. Oh my gosh. Like on such a basic level, I think that most of us are just not understanding. There are people who obviously day in, day out, this is their fascina fascination, their passion or their career, clearly, like the work. Um, and so they have a bit more inkling than we do, obviously. But you're right, Grant, like we know nothing. We really don't. And that's why these kind of stories are fascinating on any level. Um, when you or Kelly or Beth bring up uh, conversations around uh, a message in a bottle or this content or that <laughs> content that got washed ashore and, you know, somebody followed the trajectory and it started all the way over there. And how did it end up here? And I'm thinking, like, how do you... Even when we think we know, do we actually? Exactly. And isn't it amazing, too, how like confident almost reckless you used to have to be like these days we have such high safety Facts. standards but back then when people thought you would literally fall off the face of the earth you know people were just like oh you know what we're just gonna set out in, in the ocean see what happens yeah wow yeah, there's um 
Is there a particular part about the ocean that fascinates you or like is, is I, a certain area? I think, I think just how powerful it is, how we really take it for granted. We dump things in it. We dump garbage. Some uh, Victoria used to dump sewage into the ocean. I don't know if they still oh do. Yeah. Uh, you know, we really just take it for granted. And it is so powerful that uh, like if, if anything is going to take back the planet or kind of show us that we don't oh, have as much control ocean, as we think right? we do. It's going to be the ocean. 100%. That's depressing. I'm sorry. I know, but it actually, it, it blows my mind that we act as if we could just ignore, right? Like the fact of as exactly what you're saying, that everything we throw into the ocean is going to come back. Like it literally is a cycle. It's a chain effect. But to think that we've gone generations and on such large scales just act like that's not the case, where do we think it's going? Like, do we think it's disintegrating, just exactly, disappearing? right? It's, again, it's like we think it's going to drop off the face of the earth. And <laughs> it's know. not. It's gonna Quite literally harm. not. It's going straight in. Um, yes. But, but yeah, I, I think it's yeah. because, as, as we've kind of said already, like looping back to the original point, we don't know where it goes, and so we feel like we could just ignore whatever's happening in there but exactly. I, uh, the research around it is always super fascinating are you as fascinated with space as you are with the ocean i'm very very fascinated with space i don't know a lot about it i kind of feel like maybe i my attention kind of zoned out when we were learning about it in school but now with the advent of the internet and ai i just yeah question after question about space that the answers are are just super interesting i i i feel like it's maybe the answer to a lot of our like problems uh -huh. I, I remember we had an, an expert come to talk to our high school about like quote unquote world affairs and somebody asked him like what do you think about space colonization we all just thought he was going to laugh at us yeah he said oh i think putting your eggs into one basket is dangerous i think space colonization is absolutely going to happen how about wow, you wow that's really interesting yeah i mean i i am i'd say more ignorant than you or kelly uh or christine malik as another example of someone who's super fascinated with the stuff that goes on out there uh i'm more ignorant but that's because as you kind of hinted at things have been so inaccessible to me for so long that i just kind of removed it as a, a topic of interest anything you know science or whatever that i felt was interesting i felt like there were so much so many walls to get access to the content or to really understand on a very like three-dimensional level what it's like to learn about this this stuff because it was just so visual right there's so much visual and so much of that um played a role in how I understood space. And I think now, oh, yeah. yeah. So now with all of the stuff that's going on where people are deliberately making space conversation more accessible for uh, blind low vision people, it's becoming much more fascinating to me or understanding. Oh yeah, it's, it's one of those things where I think our perspectives and I, I remember the my the, the person you guys talked to about the zero gravity light where she's trying to finally make dare i say space accessible to people who are blind like i i feel like the the disabled community ha would have such unique perspectives to offer about science of course and stem but some of the technologies that we need to do so is 
and a little out of reach. And I think that really definitely needs to change. Well, yeah. I mean, even scientists who are the most curious people in the world um, can get stuck on certain limitations, right? Sensory limitations, thinking of everything uh, as visual or whatever, and and kind of removing that sense, as talking again from a blind perspective, um, removing that sense means that there are other ways that we have to allow in to perceive this information, which in itself is uh, can be quite you know intriguing or Absolutely. informative. Yeah. Uh, all right, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back and reflect back on our time at W. Ross McDonald School. This was a couple of weeks ago when we uh, got to catch up with and meet a lot of new people in regards to the short-term placement program, STP. They do this once a month. It's a real fun time, and we're going to tell you what we learned when we visited there in person, which was fantastic. We'll be right back after the break. We'll be back with more of Kelly and Ramya after this short break. Wicked fun time always here on Kelly and Ramya. Two hours of content every single weekday for you. That's uh, live at 2 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. On AMI-audio at 4 p.m. is our first airing or during any of the every eight-hour repeats. And we're, of course, available on your pod platform. That we uh, segment out the show for you there, split everything up into digestible conversations, as well as a full show pod with a vanity card on the end. Kind of a little get-to-know-you session with our team members. Somebody different every day. All right, so we're having a little bit of a reflection time. We love these little highlights we've been putting together for you lately. And by we, I'm being very plural here, as Kelly would say. It's really Megan McGraw, our visual producer, who put this um, highlight reel together. And essentially, what happened was we went to W. Ross McDonald School a couple weeks ago and spent a Saturday there hanging out at STP. That is short-term placement. It's a program that W. Ross runs every uh, once a month at least one weekend a month for the entire year, at least the school year. And they got a lot of participants there. We got to meet people. We got to talk about media with them. The KR team in around the area of uh, this area, Toronto, GTA, got to go there. So myself, Kelly McDonald, Megan, and Jeff. And we had a really fun time. So we thought we'd share some of our mm, highlights with you this way because we got some footage and conversations with the people who attended so let's get to that we're modeled around something called expanded core curriculum um, so this is uh, something related to um, education for students with who are blind and low vision. Um, and it's essentially things that they don't get in their foundational education that they need to be successful in life. So um, there's lots of different sort of facets of expanded core curriculum, but um, like access to technology, um, opportunities in recreation, independent living skills, um, and like social interaction skills would all be sort of examples of expanded core curriculum. Uh, so they run one week in a month. Uh, kids come in on Friday nights and leave Sunday afternoons. 
Um, coordinating means just uh, setting the themes for the weekends and kind of putting everything together. So uh, like contacting AMI to come and uh, share your sort of talents and insights into our media and broadcasting weekend would be a good example of coordinating. <laughs> Battery pack. Big old battery pack. Summer, I've done a music video, a Johnny Reed music video once. Um, just it, a lot of stuff falls into your other interests too. Families with uh, children and students, obviously, um, with visual impairments, are a pretty tight knit community and um, like to share resources with each other. So, you know, if we have a student that comes and has a really great experience at short term program. They go home and tell their families, and their families tell their, you know, friends that are in that community, and then um, the word just kind of spreads from there. This is sort of a, a bit of a niche type of weekend. Um, what I typically t say to students is, when you're registering for SDP weekends, register for things that you're genuinely interested in. Mm -hmm. um, so everybody that came this weekend, this is our media and broadcasting weekend, have a real um, genuine interest in this type of um, curriculum, I guess. Um, but we have different themes every STP weekend. Um, we have a sports weekend coming up. Um, previously, we had like a cooking and independent living skills weekend. Um, we have a creative arts and music weekend. So w when the kids sign up, the idea is that they're signing up for something that they really want to participate in, I guess. You know, we want people to be excited to come, right? Um, that being said, like, you know, we have weekends where we have 25 kids here, right? Um, especially our, our sports and music weekends tend to be very popular. Um, those also do parents' weekends. Those are um, pretty interesting. Uh, we try to do like all ages opportunities. So um, for some of the younger kids that maybe can't come and stay a whole weekend independently, they can come with their parents and have some fun. And then we typically try to do some like information sessions with the parents as well, or like some pathway planning, that type of thing. You know, we have themes and expanded core curriculum opportunities. And, and um, you know, we, we, we try to create this um, super accessible environment, but, but ultimately it's, it's, that, um, it's that social connection that the kids get to make with each other and the, and the friendships that kind of go along with it. That's what keeps kids coming back and that's the real, like, um, the real thing that they sort of remember and, and, and then bring home and spread the word about. So I started coming to STPs as a student, actually, uh, in my high school years, and then had a little bit of a break, and then have now actually come back as a staff. This is probably one of my favorite places to work within the blind community, because it's just such a special environment bringing the kids together who don't see each other on a regular basis, and they pretty much only look forward to these short-term programs every month that they get to come um, and seeing their faces light up when they see their friends and it's just such a special weekend to be able to be with them. I'd say it's absolutely social at the forefront because they cannot ask for enough free time throughout the weekend. All they want to do is just hang out with their friends and go play the pianos and do whatever for the weekend. And then the programming is almost a supplementary benefit that they get from coming here. They get to learn some new things, but ultimately seeing the social connections that are made and even knowing for myself when I came here, I met so many different people that then introduced me to other community programs and now that I'm still involved in to this day. 
We get a lot of different age ranges, but the weekends are usually have a set kind of age range that uh, kind of helps to mitigate too many um, different age gaps where you're trying to teach maybe somebody on a parent weekend will get like like eight years old versus um, maybe an outdoor ride weekend we're getting up to like 19 20 years old um, who are still kind of in that high school range um, and so you see a lot of different uh, people and abilities and sometimes that results in kids being able to learn from each other um, and you can kind of cater it to even knowing the kids I go to a mainstream school, so um, coming to the SDPs, I feel like it gives me like a good connection to my, you know, my fellow blind people. You know, it gets me to stay connected, be up to date with what's going on in the blind community. Um, I think it's really from person to person. Like for me, I think being in mainstream is best for me. But I know for a lot of other people, coming to um, a program such as Bridges, that's in W. Ross, um, it helps people who are going from who finish high school who need to need a little bit of help um, for post secondary. That's a wonderful program for them. Um, if it's it really just comes down to each person and what they want to do. I think I've been involved for seven years now. Um, my favorite part, to be honest, is the friendships you make. I think the connections I've made in W. Ross and through the SDPs, um, I have become a better person, more confident, better at speaking, and just meeting new people and a better leader. I've been coming to SDPs around maybe a year ago. I probably enjoy the music camp. I play many different instruments. Um, my main one is piano, but I do a few on the sides like a drum set and cello. I do really like the auditorium and our pods. I think they're really well laid out. And I like the upstairs part of the gym too. Testing, testing, one, two, three, testing. I really like the opportunities that you get to do here for the short-term programs of the weekend. Like I wouldn't normally be, do be doing, recording like radio plays and such. And I really like the people here and the food. Why W. Ross? Because we're just, we're set up so perfectly for it. Um, there isn't a facility in Ontario and probably not in Canada that has the same kind of resources. The kids sort of make those like genuine connections with each other. Um, I think that's the, the, the real like selling point of this program. The things I have learned from people um, all around me at the short-term programs at W. Ross, it's, it's amazing. The first few times I didn't know a lot of people, but like, no, by by the end of Saturday, I, I was already I was already making friends, already getting the lay of the land. Truly, I do love the sports STP because I love the hands-on, learning different sports, getting to try different things. I tried blind hockey myself for the first time at our sports STP last year, which was fun. You try a whole bunch of new things. It's those relationships. It's the feeling of being understood. I think um, in mainstream, you really have to push for what you need, um, and often you don't get it, or you have to fight so hard to the point where, like, what's the point of me even doing this anymore? Um, but here, it's everybody's here to help you. Everybody's here to, who really understands what you need. Um, um, and you really, really miss that in um, mainstream. And also the relationships, once again, it's the friends you make and the connections, the networking you can do here is insane. People are um, doing amazing things with sports, with music, with um, anything everywhere. It's just, this place is a great jumping point.
that you get that little bit of goal ball at the end <laughs> as well. So lovely. We spent time uh, at the short-term placement program participation weekend that weekend, a couple weeks ago in January at W. Ross McDonald School, which if you don't know, is in Brantford, Ontario. Uh, so we were at the gym, we went into the auditorium talking to a couple people, as you heard there, Emily, uh, one of the organizers, as well as Lucas, who was a huge help in just coordinating this entire thing. So shout out to them. And the students we met, I want to, first of all, bring in, bring back in Grant Hardy and Jeff Ryman, you're here as well, helping us um, talk about this. You were there. And Grant, you weren't. But it was so fun for me, first of all, because I'm, like, much older than the participants there. Whoa, some of them are, like, half my age. But the... Um, Younger uh, participants like Keaton Hamilton, who was there, and Zara, both of them come to blind soccer as well. So I just want to, you know, bring up that it's nice to see them in this environment, nice to, like, talk to them on this level of what it's like for them to go to W. Ross in this way, because both of these students don't go to W. Ross for day school. They just participate in STP and um, get that exposure for inclusive sport, inclusive recreation, inclusive music making, arts and rec, like cooking or um, outdoor ed, a lot of things. Like they, they talked about summer programs as well that are coming up. They have planned for upcoming SDP weekends that I found to be super fun, just like fun times for people to get involved and to want to come back and hang out this way. Well, Absolutely. And I was really affected by what they said about the social aspect, yeah. because I remember growing up, you know, I would go to a camp for the blind for a week. And it's amazing how much kind of like gossip and, you know, team talk and, you know, <laughs> yeah. whatever you can kind of get through in a week. But then the isolation from the community for the rest of the year is really hard to appreciate. I mean, I, I grew up in the time where it might still cost 10 cents a minute to call and talk to someone on the phone. Right. You know, you didn't have, you know, reliable internet and email necessarily. And if you, if you, if you did, it wasn't the same as hearing the person's voice. So I think that aspect that you have that venue where you can socialize and also gain some skills that, you know, quite frankly, like I used to come down on the side of mainstream school, full stop. And and the older I get, the more I realize these opportunities that people have somewhere at W. Ross, the networking, like they said, but also just the inclusive academic and social opportunities that we kind of miss out on sometimes in mainstream school. That I think would just be such an asset. And Jeffy, you coming from uh, the I guess the perspective of having gone to W. Ross for different occasions or during different occasions with KR uh, and meeting people, meeting participants, checking out the facility, all this kind of stuff, uh, we still, you know, are in awe about how much this place offers and the people who work there want to bring, like to keep fostering and keep getting better and bigger at for what they offer to the community. There are a couple of things that really stood out to me, especially this time around. Yeah. Number one was the engagement from the students and not even just the students, the parents as well. Like the parents are really into it. They were sort of sitting in the background. A couple of them came up and asked us questions. But the students, I mean, we took questions probably for the majority of the time that yeah. we were talking, which is awesome because you never really know what you're going to get from from kids. But they were super, super engaged. Um, just the way it's run 
run there. Um, Grant, you were talking about, you know, going to camp and stuff. Somebody who doesn't come from the disability community, but has come from uh, lots of summer camps and overnight camps and everything um, <laughs> like that. Um, it's the exact same, like, you know, disability or not, this program sounds just like any other camp that you'd go to. I'm sure, you know, they're, they're goofing around at night in their dorms or eating Absolutely. junk food. They're socializing. And all while doing that, they're learning whether that be something music related, whether that be something sport related, whether mm. that be something media related. So, um, you know, that 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 was really what stood out to me. And also just the, the bonds that these kids are able to form with each other. We were only there for a couple of hours, but you could just tell that all these kids were having a great time, big smiles on their face. Everybody, there was nobody left out. Everybody was in a big group. Everybody was talking. Everybody was sharing. Uh, it was it was honestly such a, a great time. And I'm really glad that we got to go and and just share a little bit of our jobs. But also, I feel like from my perspective, it was also nice to sort of see all that camaraderie yeah. and uh, almost yeah. got a nostalgic vibe from from going there and, and seeing the, the, these kids enjoy their time. Oh, totally. It's really important to have those venues for marginalized or minority groups to come together, to congregate together. People are hungry for it. Oh, my gosh. We, yeah. we need more programs like this. And that's fantastic. Yeah, and it's, you know, easy, obviously, to draw the comparison between, like, able-bodied communities going to camp and having these social um, uh, opportunities versus the disability communities. But also within the disability communities, you know, there's geographically just so much going on where a lot of people don't have the access because they didn't grow up in Toronto, you know? like And, and because of that, I think they... Um, w. Ross, that is, and and the government and everybody else who is able to help kind of pull this stuff together, they really recognize that. You know, there, there's people here, students here, participants from all over the province, and there's other programs where people are pulled in from all over the country and from all different communities where this is literally the only opportunity that they get to meet another person like them who is experiencing uh, low vision or blindness, so... I love it. I love that we got to spend some time there in person. There was actually like a couple moments where we weren't sure how many of us would be able to go. So I'm glad we got to go. Jeffy, thank you. Of course, guys. Thank you. And Grant, you and I will be right back. We're going to wrap up the show here. Oh my God, I told you we're going to talk a little more McDonald's. <laughs> and of course, tell you what's coming up on Now with Dave Brown tomorrow morning. BRB. We'll be back with more of Kelly and Ramya after this short break. Well, fires and all, we have almost made it to the end of the show. Still going strong. Lots of content for you to recap, review, re-listen to on your favorite podcast platform. You can do that anytime. That's why we love plugging it, because it's on demand, of course, and the new way of the world. Um, but if you do like the routine, you can tune in on AMI-TV every weekday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. I'm Ramia Amuthan. Grant Hardy has been patiently co-hosting with me throughout the show. Hopefully lots of great improvements and uh, things going on with the tech side at Kelly McDonald's place because his home studio is getting a bit of a revamp and tweaking. Um, and we are going to now plug Now with Dave Brown.
Now with Dave Brown is our morning show on AMI-tv. 9 a.m. Eastern time is when you can catch him live every weekday as well. And they've got a jam-packed show coming for us on Thursday. So, Grant, will you do the honors? Yes, they do. They're going to have journalist Megan Gilmore. She's going to deliver the details behind the federal government's pause to expand made medical assistance in dying to include people with mental illness. Mark Aflalo from Access Tech Live will uh, dish on the details of Apple's announcement that it will provide transcription features to podcasts. And entertainment critic Michael McNeely will continue his coverage of the Sundance Festival and review the movie Didi. Hmm, okay, Michael McNeely is like Corinne Van Dusen on our show, just always keeping tabs mm -hmm. on everything film anywhere big small whatever in between he's got it covered for us so a uh, great weekly guest to have that they have on the show thanks grant let's talk mcdonald's because mm. you've been hungrily anticipating what i've got for you um and basically you can win free food from mcdonald's if you catch the hamburglar as he goes on his coast-to-coast -coast road trip in the Burgacuda. Wow, the puns okay. are unreal right now. Okay, McDonald's Hamburglar is the mascot, and he's going on his getaway car road trip. Spotting him can win you free merchandise or hamburgers. After announcing small changes, they say small, I say pretty big, to their hamburgers and to their menus last year, the McDonald's mascot is, who's got a reputation for stealing, is hitting the road and this is in the custom 1970 Plymouth Barracuda Burger Cuda? I don't know what I said. In an attempt to um, this is an attempt at the ultimate burger stealing heist. So if you spot this getaway car, you can get a code, like you spot the, the, the vehicle, there's a code on it, you use the code and get an Arch gift card, they say, as well as Hamburglar-inspired swag available for a limited time while supplies last. Even if you don't spot them, though, you can still enter to win online, they say, for a year's worth of McDonald's food by going to their website, uh, and there's no purchase necessary on that side. Okay, you're wondering, yes, yes, this is all great, but what are the big changes that McDonald's made to their burgers? It includes softer sandwich buns, which are toasted, golden brown, perfectly melted cheese, and a juicier caramelized flavor from adding white onions to the patties while they're still on the grill. The uh, company Big Macs will also be served with more sauce if you didn't think there was enough sauce on those burgers. And um, I'm wondering, Grant, does any of this appeal to does, you? Does, does this bug anyone except me, that these contests are always so inaccessible. I was talking about my McDonald's Monopoly piece that I, <laughs> like, apparently could have won big, maybe, but I didn't see. Now we've got, like, a vehicle that I've got a spot. Like, yeah, come on, McDonald's. I, I want to call them up and just be like, come on, like, throw me a few hamburgers. Well, come if on. it helps you at all, they do have descriptions of the vehicle, very detailed descriptions. So you can go read that and then AI it and then take a picture of every car on the, the there road. There you go. And, you know? Huh? Long story. Just show. connect to Ira all day. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, maybe I can get Ira them to minutes. pay for it. <laughs> Let's see what's coming up on tomorrow's edition of Kelly and Ramia. We've got basic rules to follow in planning to pack your lunch. And that's with Mary Mamaliti of Kitchen Confession. 
Michael Ferrer begins a deep dive into the accessible game Conjury and another much more complex game in the same genre called Doncaster. Fun time with Grant and I today on the show. Join us tomorrow, 2 p.m. Eastern, for more Kelly and Ramia. Hey, it's Megan here. This week, I plan to dive into the topic of hobbies. Reflecting on my own experiences growing up in Ireland, where winter sports were limited, now residing in Canada, I've discovered there's a lot more activities to explore during the winter months. Eager to embrace the season, I decided to try out some skating lessons. Even though my skills in this area are admittedly lacking, over the next few weeks, I hope to grasp the basics and establish skating as my go-to winter sport. I also wanted to talk about Gaelic football. I briefly touched upon Gaelic football in my previous vanity. So imagine a fusion of basketball, rugby and soccer played primarily in Ireland by a team of 15 players. The goal resembles that of rugby featuring a net and the objective is to score points by kicking or punching the ball into the net, three points, or over the crossbar, one point. The game employs a round ball, slightly smaller and heavier than a soccer ball. Players can carry the ball for four steps, after which it must be bounced, kicked or hand-passed. A strike in motion with the fist or hand. While it may appear intense, the strategic aspects and technical manoeuvres involved contribute to its charm. I'm not particularly inclined towards sport, but I must confess that joining the team has become a significant part of my journey here in Toronto. The experience has led me to forge numerous friendships and explore places I might not have ventured to into otherwise. It's akin to being embraced by a family away from home. It's a community that brings diverse individuals together. Embarking on this journey, it was intimidating, especially during the first training session where I didn't know anyone and it had been a decade since I last played. Surprisingly, the team made me feel incredibly welcome, easing my initial apprehensions. If I were to offer advice to listeners, I would say this. Feeling anxious or worried about starting something new is entirely normal. Everyone experiences that. The crucial step is mustering up the courage to take the initial plunge. And from there, it gradually becomes more manageable. You might even surprise yourself on what you can achieve. So if there's something you've been contemplating, I would strongly encourage you, just go for it. We all share the moments of feeling embarrassed, stressed when stepping out into uncharted territory. But you won't discover your capabilities until you try. It's about overcoming those initial hurdles. And in doing so, you could open the door to personal growth or unforeseen opportunities. So that's all for me today and hope you all have a great day. Thanks so much. Hi, I'm Stephen Scott. Join me every day for Double Tap. It's a show where we occasionally talk about technology for blind and partially sighted people. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts.